Thanks for that piece of lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast. Pass us. All right, everybody. Welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. I'm Eric Dibb, your most complained cop, NYPD. This is the 265 Police Live Series. We got a great podcast for you. It's now September 12th, 2023. It's one day past September 11th. We had to do a tribute. We didn't actually record on September 11th. Today is silence to commemorate 9-11, of course. Along with me is John McCarry, retired lieutenant, the founder and the co-host of the podcast. John, how you doing, my brother? Great shirt as always. We the people pour the finest. Friends of New York's finest we're trying to fill the podcast. And along with me is Paul Manicone, who does the video production for our podcast. You can find him at Just Right PD. He's got great videos, great shorts, the stuff that he does on the national level. Definitely different angles, not just policing. Paul, how you doing, of course? What's up, guys? Thank you for having me again. Outstanding. Listen, 9-11 is uh, near and dear to all of us. Uh, we all have great stories about 9-11. So let's open this up. John, tell us where where, and exactly, because we know everyone remembers. So where were you on 9-11? What do you remember about it? And uh, let's let's hear your story. Sure. 9-11, I was going to college in Manhattan and I was working for a recruitment firm in Manhattan. And I was a recruiter, like getting people jobs. I would walk around the city. Basically, what I would do is look for pretty girls, see if they want the jobs. I would get their resume and then I'd, I'd black out their resume, send it to all companies. I'd get them set up with interviews and I'd get paid. I was pretty successful at it. I did pretty good at that. that. I did that. I started doing that like 1921. Um, so... 9-11, morning on 9-11, I had went out the night prior, got hung over. I was supposed to be at work in Midtown. Um, I took the X1 from Staten Island. Um, unfortunately, the people that I communed with that lived in my neighborhood, a lot of them worked for uh, Cantor Fitzgerald. Um, so I didn't take the bus that day. I wouldn't have been in the towers. I would have had already been to work in Midtown. But I was hung over. I woke up late. I woke up to my boss calling me after the first plane hit. And he said, don't come into work. You know, I, I woke up like in a panic. I'm like, oh, man, I'm supposed to be at work and something I never really did. And uh, I woke up and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'll be right there. I went out last night. He's like, no, 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 don't come in. A plane hit the tower. A plane hit the tower. It's bad. It's bad. Don't come in. I was like, no, 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 I'm coming, bro. I'm coming. I'm coming. And he goes, no, don't come in. He goes, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll call you later. And he hung up the phone. And uh, so I was like, you know, in my head, I remember like waking up and thinking that, I, in my head, when he said that, I pictured like a small little personal plane hitting the tower. Yep. So I was kind of confused. I was kind of confused as to what happened. Um, I still lived with my father at the time. Uh, I rented an apartment downstairs from him. I go, I go to see him and he's sitting there cleaning his guns. And I thought that it was, you know, I, it, it wasn't unlike my father. My father was a Vietnam veteran. You know, he was a rough guy. He's shot, stabbed, anything you could think of. He was always fighting. So everything was a threat to him. And I just remember thinking that he was nuts. And he goes, I think that we're under attack. And I'm like, whatever. You know, th that's my father. That's who he always was. Everything was always a threat. Everybody was a threat, even people that weren't threats. So I didn't really think much of it. I grabbed coffee. I went and sat on my stoop. I saw the smoke coming up. I walked back inside. And as soon as I walked inside, the second 
plane hit the tower and then i was like holy shit wow. um, and my father was like um basically you know he was basically like you know listen he goes we got to find out where your sisters are and then he, he wanted me to go get my sister wherever i had to go and he goes and then get back here and if people start coming we're gonna sit up on the roof and pick them off and that was my 9-11 experience where i was like holy shit we're under attack and that's definitely something that I never thought would happen in this country ever. So I, I would say that was the day that uh, my bubble burst. Wow. Did you see the towers fall, John, from, from your, from your stoop, from your porch? So you could see like the, the Verrazano bridge and I could see the smoke from the towers. If I went upstairs on my third floor of my house, I could see clearly, uh, but I wasn't on my third floor. I was on my second floor, but from my front porch, I could see the smoke. Um, and after the second plane hit, I was kind of in, you know, a state of adrenaline, you know, like what, what's going on? Like what's next? What do we do? Um, and so I actually watched the towers fall on television. Crazy. It's crazy, right? Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. No, 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 no problem. I you know, it's, it's interesting, John, because we've had similar paths, right? We both got on the police department young. But what's even more interesting, because we, we didn't need to speak about this, and you were actually just telling me this, you were recruiting at the time that 9-11 happened. And I was actually doing the same thing. I was working at, as recruiter's assistants for the Marine Corps at that time, and I was on Bay Street in Staten Island, which anybody knows is about a block and a half walking distance from the Staten Island Ferry. So you're right along the water. You can actually see the Twin Towers, right? Because when you would take the Staten Island Ferry, it would bring you right where the Twin Towers are. And uh, so at the time, I was actually in my my dress uniform working, doing recruiting. You know, I was 21 years old. I used to love doing recruiting. I would go to schools and recruit. I would go to colleges and and, and wear, our, uh, you know, wear our uniforms and try to press girls at the time. So, but here, you know, the world had changed. Uh, at first, when we started to see the smoke and, and the first plane hit, no one knew actually what happened, and we just thought it was some type of disaster or a complete accident, right? Until the second second tower was hit by the second plane. And at that point, I remember speaking to the recruiter, and, and we went, once we started to get more information and realize we're under attack, like looking down at the uniform, realizing probably won't be doing recruiting much longer. You know, this is for real. So. I'll, I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, and at the time, also, there was a, a friend of mine in Staten Island. Uh, his father actually uh, worked on the 105th floor. So, uh, unfortunately, we had later found out he, he had he was at work that day and unfortunately didn't make it home. So, I mean, everyone was touched by this. Yeah. Police, firemen, military, civilians, everyone was touched by this. We'll never forget it. And that's why I say this is a great tribute. And ultimately, we talk about then and now. So, uh, Paul, please, yeah. give us your story. I mean, we all got one. I don't want to, you know, keep going on to it because we, we've all heard about where everybody's been on 9-11. But uh, we all have our own unique stories. Yeah, I was a, uh, a young sergeant in the 7th Precinct in Lower Manhattan. I was the youth sergeant. I worked with a, a great bunch of guys. And like every other small unit, you all have a routine. Our routine was to go out, check the schools early in the morning and then get breakfast. But just like John, I wasn't hungover, but I hadn't slept the night before. 
So when they were going out to get breakfast, I said, just, you know, just bring me back something. So Ricky and Ray went to get uh, me and Frank food. Frank stayed in the, um, those are the three guys that I work with. He stayed in the youth office. And I went downstairs into our old snoo office, which was basically like a bomb shelter. There were no windows. There was no radio, no television. You couldn't see or hear anything. If you were down there, you were forgotten about. I don't know this at the time, but Ray and Ricky are sitting in the car and Ray sees the first plane go into the Trade Center and he screams at Ricky, oh shit, a plane just went into the Trade Center. So Ricky, of course, if you know Ricky, uh, he's like, we gotta go get Paul, we gotta go get Paul. And Ray's like, he'll come, he'll meet us. Believe me, everyone's gonna be there. So they drove to the site. Um, I'm in the hole. I'm oblivious. I have no idea what's going on. In fact, I remember thinking, where's my food? <laughs> Where are these guys? So I called the youth office to see, you know, to ask if they got back. And Frank, who was in the office, didn't answer, which I thought was weird. So I figured I was bored, right? While all this was going on, unfortunately, I called my home answering machine just to check my messages. And there was a message on there from an old friend who had moved to Chicago and her message said, I heard a plane flew into the Trade Center. I know you work alone in Manhattan. I just want to make sure you're, okay. sure you're okay. So I said, oh, wow. So I go upstairs. I go to the youth office. The desk is to my left. They can't see me. I can't see them. There's, it's chaos over there. But again, I don't even know. I go into the youth office. It's empty. I go on AOL.com and I see the smoke coming out of the towers. I still thought at that point, just like you guys did, we thought it was probably a mistake from a pilot. He hit the building accidentally. Nobody thought it was a jetliner, at least at first. So I go to the desk and the lieutenant tells me, uh, Paul, a, a plane hit the trade center, suit up, because I was in civilian clothes. So I go upstairs and I saw a lot of people, like you know, the house mice that, that stay inside. Uh, those are the people that, that don't go on patrol. They were all in uniform which was weird. And I go upstairs to suit up. I come back down and it's even worse. Everyone's in uniform. There's a cop at the desk who's hysterically crying. I asked, you know, what happened, what, what happened to him? Uh, apparently he, where he was parked, a jumper landed on his RMP in the, in the back windshield. Uh, I don't know if he was in the car or not, but he was done. He was, he was a wreck. Cops were going crazy. Nobody knew, nobody was prepared for this. So the other lieutenant tells me, take two cops and go to Gouverneur Hospital. Gouverneur Hospital is on Madison Street and you have a perfect view of the Trade Center. We went there for victims, but there were no victims. Nobody was coming in. So we could see the tower burning. The second plane at that time had already hit, but nothing, both towers were still standing. And, you know, the street was crowded. People were crying. It, it wasn't, little did we know it was going to get much worse, right? So the street's packed with people. And this guy comes over to me and he said, uh, he taps me on, on my right shoulder. And he says, officer, there's people up on the roof. You got to get those people off. So I look and I see these little dots like running across the roof. So I didn't know who they were. I didn't know if it was cops. I didn't know. Right. But I just wanted to keep the guy calm, not let him think that people are going to burn. And just like every cop, well, actually, every first responder, whether you're a cop, a fireman, an EMT, the main thing is to keep people calm and not let them know that 
the reality of certain issues. And actually, when people called 911, if you listen to those tapes, the 911 dispatcher was telling them, don't worry, you're going to be fine. Just stay calm. Even though they knew they were going to die. Are they going to be able to get somebody up here? Well, of course, man. We're coming up to you. Well, there's no one here yet, and the floor is completely engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. Okay. And it's very, very, very hot. It's very hot. Ma'am, ma'am. Very you. hot. We're all the way on the other side of Liberty, and it's very, very hot. Everybody stay calm. You're doing a good job. Please. Ma'am, listen. Ma'am, listen. Everybody's coming. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. You're very hot. Ma'am, ma'am, you have to stay calm. There is smoke. I okay. can't breathe. Okay, you stay calm with me, okay? It's very hot. Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. It's very hot. I see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see, I don't I see okay. any air anymore. Okay. All I see is smoke. Okay, dear, I'm so sorry. Hold on one, stay calm with me, stay calm. Please. Uh, listen, listen, the call is in, I'm documented, I'm going to let them... Hold on one second, please. I'm going to die, aren't I? No, 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 no. Say your... I'm going to die. Ma'am, 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 say your prayers. And we're not going to die. We're going to think positive because you got to help each other get off the floor. I'm going to die. No, no. Stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Oh, God. You're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing oh, a good job. You're it's so calm. hot. I'm burning up. People that fell out of the towers that weren't that high up that initially survived the impact, they were told the same thing. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Green tag for the minor injuries. You can understand everything. Then you have the uh, red tag for immediate. And then when we get to the deceased, that means no care needed. At this time, this person is presumed dead. So going past, you just rip the tags off and left deceased, deceased, until I ran into that one person. I put deceased, which is a black tag. And it's, she says, I'm not dead. Call my daughter. But she didn't know what I knew, and she didn't see what I see. Her head did not hit the ground, or I couldn't see that the head was there, because the hair was still intact. She looked like an office personnel. She looked like maybe a woman that was on the plane and her makeup. But what I saw below the torso was complete crushed, disfigured, meant. This lady must have came down feet first. You can't take, stop, stop, I'm not dead. I could have done something immediately to help her, but I was panicking myself. I was dealing with death myself. 
even though I did not fear death, or I wasn't thinking about death, but I saw death, and I saw death, and I saw death, and I told her she would not survive another couple of minutes. So I lied. I said, you're OK. This is preliminary. This is just, I, I, I meant to write, I, I tore the wrong thing off. Relax. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Don't worry about what I just did. I had to go conscious about what I was saying and, I, and that I was lying. But I wasn't lying in the fact of her condition. I was lying in the fact that I did think she was dead. So with that in mind, I turned to this guy to tell him, no, that's just us. That, you know, that's, that's, those are cops and firemen up there. And when I turned to tell him that, I see his jaw open, his mouth opens, his jaw drops. And my friend Mike grabs me and starts screaming, Paulie, it's falling, it's falling, it's fucking falling. I turned around and it was just, it was insane to just watch that tower come down. Obviously, we thought we just watched 30, you know, 30,000 people die. We had no idea. We're thinking 110 stories, you know, multiple people in each office, plus the people on the ground. But I was thinking, where are my friends that I normally work with? I had no contact with them. After a while, we, we realized that we weren't doing anything at the hospital. We had no RMP. So Mike says, I'm going to go get my pickup truck. Let's go to the site. Let's go see if we can help them. And he did. And we, we could only go as far as like court. Once we got close, it was just burned cars, cars stuck in traffic. You couldn't go anymore. So we said, let's try and get out and, and go on foot. And we couldn't do it. We got maybe five feet from the truck. And it wasn't just the dust, you know, that you were breathing in that you had to worry about. It felt like it was a sandstorm. You, you were just pelted with all of this debris. And we got about five feet from the truck and I, and I couldn't see Mike anymore. And I said, Mike, where are you? Where are you? And he says, I'm right here. I'm right here. And he put his hand on my, on my shoulder, but the, it was so thick. I couldn't see him standing right next to me. So we saw other cops running, uh, other, other rescue personnel. They were saying, get out, get out, get out. Mike says that he heard aviation say over the radio just before it fell, be advised the tower is leaning. But I didn't hear that. And I could only imagine if I didn't hear that and I was so far away, people on the ground that were right underneath it didn't hear it either. So at that point, we decided we had no choice. We had to leave. And we were able to get our truck out of there and go back to the hospital and wait. Um, but again, there weren't a lot of victims. Most of the people died. Uh, and uh, you know, it was, it was something you're never going to forget. But either way, we had to turn around and come back. And that was heartbreaking for us because we knew our friends were there and we wanted to help, but you physically couldn't, couldn't move any further. And we had to turn around. I, I, listen, all of us have amazing stories. I mean, everyone has a story. 9-11 is one of those incidents where, unfortunately, everyone is going to remember where and when and what they were doing on that particular day. And we'll remember that forever. So, but going forward for this podcast, what we ultimately what we want to talk about is how things were then and how they are now. We talked offline, we all agree that the world has just completely changed 
the world is upside down, and the world has went insane. I like to refer it as a change of calendar. I actually made a tweet about this, and I spoke to John and Paul about this. And I feel that it's almost a correlation to BC in comparison to AD, when I talk about BC before Christ and Anadomity. So for anyone that's very religious out there, I'm not trying to offend you, but what I mean about that, it's almost like a change of calendar. I think that 9-11 could be day one for a new calendar right now in comparison to prior to then, because the world has completely changed. John, you and I spoke about this. How do you feel, what, what's the most, what, what would you say that sticks in your mind most of what has changed and how you felt then about the country versus now? And what was your perception of America as a as a field force in the nation, and did you think that it was impossible for anyone to p- penetrate our country? You know, after after Pearl Harbor, obviously. Yeah, like I said, I think that was the day I realized that life is short. Um, you never know what you wake up to. Um, I never thought that America would could be attacked, would be attacked. I never thought for one second New York City would be attacked. You know, I, the amount of people I know that aren't here just from that short day, at that day alone, by the nighttime that I knew that they were missing. And I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're gone, you know, uh, friends, fathers, family, friends. Um, so, you know, that that like, yeah, it, that, I think that's the hardest thing. I, I think that was the most pivotal thing for me. It's like, uh, like I said, I, I felt like uh, wide open, you know, and, and I'm sure everybody did. And, and this now I've never got my house burglarized, but I, I and this is much worse than that. But but like the feeling to describe the feeling I have, like I felt open. I felt insecure. I felt like had someone had came into my home where I feel safe and secure and protected and and pulled that away from me and my house was wide open and that and that's kind of the, the feeling that I, I i had since that time yeah and you know we were getting it i i always wondered what it was like to be able to watch it on tv and get fed the information from the news sources we had no idea if you were down there we didn't know right away that the pentagon was attacked so as we were learning about that, we saw other jets above us. And again, I lied and said, no, that's our military. But we didn't really know. And, and you talk about like being burglarized. I felt so like, wow, we're really vulnerable. You, you, everybody thinks like, oh, the government won't let that happen. We have, we have you know, procedures in place and, and we'll be protected. You know, my friend, said it perfectly. He said, they got us good. They got us sleeping in every possible way. They didn't use a missile. They used planes and, and like it, not just planes, but planes loaded with passengers. And if you listen to those tapes of what people on those planes went through, it, it'll break your heart. Ong says his sister's last words during a phone call to report the hijacking reflects her courage and poise. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Betty remained on the phone for 23 minutes, providing critical information until the plane crashed into the World Trade Center. The 9-11 Commission declared her a national hero. Our number one has been stabbed, and our five has been stabbed. Can anybody get up to the cockpit? Can anybody get up to the 
Her last words were, pray for us. But yeah, we, all, we thought like, what's next? Like, and going forward right after that, once you started getting the numbers of the, of the fatalities and the World Trade Center was just under 3,000. I remember when we started playing sports again and everybody was thinking like, wow, if there was something to happen here, like Shea Stadium right after 9-11, you could wipe out 50,000. And people were looking to us and we didn't know. Who's going to know? Our chiefs? Like nobody really knew. Everybody was in the dark from the, from the cop on the beat to the mayor to the president. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. And that was what was also scary because we were worried about what's next. You know, it's quite interesting. At the time, I was in the Marines and I was doing recruiting. And uh, we would always get history lessons in the Marines. The Marines, it, it takes pride in talking about Marine Corps history and also about terrorism. And we'd always learn about how to identify a terrorist, what the observation skills, sort of like the police department, what to look for to identify a terrorist and things like that. And this is, you know, this is way back in, in, in 99, when I joined the Marine Corps in 99, 2000, talking about terrorism pre-9-11. Uh, pre and at the time, obviously we were aware of what happened in 1993. The result of the bombing was catastrophic. It tore a crater, half a football field in the belly of the Trade Center. That explosion destroyed the tower's operating systems, cut off electricity, blasted cars and walls. It sent smoke up through offices and left six people dead and more than a thousand injured. Six people were convicted in the bombing and the towers were fixed, only to be destroyed eight years later in 9-11, an event that often overshadows the devastation of 1993. I would say as a Marine, you learn the history of the Marines that were attacked in Beirut. We lost a substantial amount of Marines. It was a crazy, a crazy incident. And, and we hear about these incidents that would happen around the world as Marines that you learn about. But you never thought it would actually happen in America. Obviously, we were aware about Pearl Harbor. I've had great uncles that were at Pearl Harbor that survived it. And they would tell me the stories. They actually told me not to go to the Marine Corps because they were in the Navy. And I completely went against it. But with that being said, I was just completely shocked by it. But yeah. one thing also I'd like to say that is a complete change, and it, this is just what's on the surface, is just the actual landscape of New York, right? Mayor Adams likes to talk about New York being a brand and an image. But when we think about the image of an old postcard of New York City, you would see those iconic twin towers. And if you looked at it, a postcard today, it would be a different picture. So just that, that alone, the landscape has changed. And what else has changed? And John, you and I are talking about this. I'd love you to reflect on this, is the Patriot Act. So what, what I'd like to say is, right, the Patriot Act really changed everything because it permeated into something that we never thought it would become. John, what was your impression of the Patriot Act when it came out? What was your perception? Did you think it was something good? Did you stand by it? I think most people did. But what was your take on it? You, you know, you're a real smart guy when it comes to politics and, and your perspective on things. What, what did you think about it at the time? You know, I was a I was a young kid. I uh, I was all for it. You know, I said uh, I don't do anything wrong. You know, why do I care if the government listens to my phone? I'm not a terrorist. Why do I care? You know, we're out here to get terrorists. You know, like these people are trying to kill us and destroy our way of life. Never thinking about. I didn't know this the statements. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know. You know, uh, I didn't know that the the true intentions of the founding of this country. You know, and, and 
and and the basis of how you can't give up liberty to have safety. And if you give up liberty, you wind up giving away your liberty and still not having safety because safety in reality, to me now as, as an adult, as a man, and, and you know, I felt like this for a long time, you know, um, but safety to me is an illusion. It's, it's not real. It's, nobody's safe. There's no such thing as safe. You're never safe. I don't care what, I don't care if you own a pizzeria. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what you do. You're never safe. You're in, you're in places that are safer, but your next breath might be your last one. So at the end of the day, our nation has a, has a, a constitution, the United States constitution. That's what makes us uniquely different from every other nation that's ever been created on the earth is that we believe in individual liberty and that those individual liberties hold true in pandemics in terrorist attacks in, in moments of time in anything. And I, you know, and I was a young dumb kid and I was all for the Patriot Act and I said, who cares? And I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah. Same thing. Um, same thing, John, let them listen to me. I don't care. Plus being in law enforcement at the time, I was always looking at it from the angle, like, well, we, we need more tools. How could you allow this to happen? Where was our government? Nobody could figure this out. Where's the Intel? Nobody knew that, you know, with, with all the stuff going on, nobody knew that, that this could have happened because they were planning this uh, for years. But the Constitution and our freedoms one, is one of the reasons why these other countries hate us. They hate America. Unfortunately for Americans, a lot of those things are being withered away. And they talk all the time about amending the Constitution and the climate certainly has changed, not, not just from how they treat police now and how, how cops are treated, but how civilians, how Americans are treated. They're turning a lot of their stuff that they're supposed to be using to protect Americans, they're turning them inward to monitor the good people. But you got people burning cities down, burning police precincts, and nothing happens. You have those two lawyers throwing Molotov cocktails at police. They got a year in jail. And they're going to be out. They're not going to do a full year. So the climate change where we no longer go after real criminals and the Patriot Act and the NSA and all that other stuff, they're still being used but they, the government has turned them inward and it's infuriating. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the resources and the tools that we have to monitor outside sources that could potentially hurt America have been sources that eat us from within. You know, and even back then, like John said, I, I was 21 years old when, when, the plane, when the plane attacked on 9-11. And at the time, I didn't really understand politics in the manner that I do now. I understood legislation, executive body. I understood how this country was built. I took pride, especially being a Marine. And also I was a history major in college, but I never really got into the depth of really understanding politics and how it actually affects us. Even as a Marine, I think it took for granted our freedom and understanding how politics can be, uh, I guess you could say weaponized to actually hurt us from within. There's just actually people in this country that want to bring it down. It's, you know, it's just disappointing. But what I think is so impressive sometimes that we actually reflect on, especially as a history major, that when this constitution was created, that 
Our forefathers were so intelligent that they understood the magnitude of people. Even without technology then, right, and, and the resources that they didn't have, they understood people, right? John, I think it's so iconic that you're wearing this shirt right now. It says, we the people, right? We the people, that's one thing, no matter how much technology we have, people people. And people, and, and they understood back then that people have demonic views. People can have views to tear down this country. So it's pretty present. Uh, really, we have to reflect on that. And could you imagine if those, if we had those same same uh, men writing a document today? I mean, I mean, they, they would just be applauded by what's going on. And, you know, they would say, "Where's the courage? Where's the men? Where's the leadership?" Because that's what this country thrives on. Yeah. So I think another thing about that day, and before we get into like what's going on now, and I think that will probably offend a lot of people. I know I will on my uh on my on on what i'm gonna say about that but i think before that, another thing that that happened that day that if you weren't a new york city resident you probably didn't know about because it didn't make national attention but there were people cheering that day that the buildings came down there were people cheering there were attacks against muslim groups that were completely uncalled for there were attacks against groups that aren't even muslim that are chic that are other things, you know, I witnessed one myself and I actually broke it up on my, the corner of my neighborhood on uh, Slater Boulevard and Highland Boulevard. Uh, there was a gas station owner, Harry, Harry's an Indian guy. He's a, he's a, a, a chic, uh, chic. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but he's not Muslim, but all the kids in the neighborhood, all the kids in the neighborhood started to go after Harry. And I just happened to be there. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. and he's like, John, help me. And I chased all the kids away. And I was like, this guy's not even like, what are you doing? Like, he's the, he's not, he didn't blow up the buildings. Like, what are you doing? You know? And so for like all the, and, and they were just young, dumb kids, but it was a lot of the fear from what they heard on social media. We're being attacked. We're being attacked by, not on social media. Social media exists from the mainstream media. Social media wasn't around. It was a lot of fear. Um, so there was different groups, right? And there were hate on both sides. There were hate from Muslim groups. And there were hate towards Muslim groups and there was hate towards other people. But I think overall, it could have been complete chaos. But after that first night, there wasn't. Everybody came together. And that's something that nobody really reflects on. You know, they say this country is a racist country. It's uh, It hates Muslims. It hates black people. It hates anybody that's not American. And I, I don't believe that at all. I believe that... You know, this country stood up for everybody that's ever been oppressed in the world. And we, we still do till today. Um, so I, I just think that's another thing about that day that I, I'll, I can't ever forget is that, you know, as much as the fear came in and people like, just take my freedom from me and uh, just protect me. And then all of the fear and the hate and the angst, people really started to say, you know what, everybody's human. There's good and bad in everybody. But overall, this nation is a great nation. This is a New York City was a great city. And, and, and it still is and it still could be. It's it's failing miserably now and we've been documenting that, but it's still a great place and I love it. And, and so does everybody on here. And that's why we're, we're, we're talking about it. Yeah, uh, the climate has changed, certainly. Um, you mentioned the founding fathers and how they would feel today. I could tell you another person who would be turning over in their grave right now is Dr. King. 
what we see today is exactly what he didn't want. He didn't want people to be judged by their race. And that's exactly what we're doing. Of course, we're not judging black people like that. We're now judging white people. And we live in a climate where it's, it's unfortunate, but it's allowed to continue. Everything you see is not only encouraged, but embraced and elevated in the media where everything is racist. But what they've done is they've taken the word racist and have diluted it so much that today it means nothing. Because if everyone's a racist, then nobody's a racist. I mean, you're talking about, we have racist trees. Milk is racist. Telling time is racist. Math is racist. When you do stuff like that, you've ruined his message. Everything that Dr. King fought for, you just flushed down the toilet. And I feel like, where are the real leaders? This, This is the best country the world has ever seen. Nobody has had more power and abused it less than the United States of America. And one of the things that we did have was we bonded together, not because we were a certain party or a certain ethnicity. We bonded together as Americans. When we went back, we were probably to midnight that night and we were told we had to be back at four in the morning. We went there. There was no power in lower Manhattan. Everything was dark. But we saw people with flashlights lining the streets with signs that were pro-police. And they were clapping and cheering us on. Every game that was televised, every picture that you saw was pro-police and pro-American. It was a nice feeling to know that I love you simply because you're an American. It doesn't matter what you look like. You're an American, I'm an American, and, and it really did lock us all together. And of course, that feeling that feeling went away pretty quickly, unfortunately. Well, you said two things that really stick out in my head, which pertains to what we're about to talk about, right? You said words mean something, and you also said pro-police. So obviously, this defines some filth that everyone knows and, pre- and probably anticipates that we're going to talk about police and actually how they're viewed then and how they're viewed now. And when you said words mean something, I totally agree. John, John and I would talk about this offline. And I said, I'm quite perturbed and I'm hurt when I see hashtags or slogans, remember the heroes, uh, you know, we care, all these different hashtags and slogans. And are they just words or do they actually mean something? People say, never forget. Do they actually mean that? Because at the time of 9-11, cops and firemen were the heroes. Firemen are still heroes today. But cops, they were heroes that day. But now they're villains. And they're totally demonized. And it completely changed from then to now. So that's why it's so important. When you say words mean something, are they just words when I see everyone put remember the heroes, never forget? John, what do you think about that? All right, here we go. <laughs> Come on. That's right. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, never forget heroes, the ceremonies, uh, 9-11. I hear all the, you know, integrity, honor, leadership. All these terms mean nothing to me anymore. 
Um, I'll never forget uh, Rivera and Moro when they were executed. I was in my garage in Florida listening to, to uh, Rivera's mass. Hysterical crying. And, and the only thing that I could think in my head was if these two guys didn't take the vaccine six days later, New York City may would fire them. If six days later he fired multiple cops, forced me out of my career, but you're going to sit there and say you honor their faith, you honor their service. It, and to go further, if they would be have been proactive, they would get CCRBs. And again, we wouldn't honor their faith. We wouldn't honor their service. We would force them out for doing something that we asked them to do. And then they got caught up into a political environment uh, where either they're forced to retire, they're fired, or they're <laughs> criminal prosecution, and no one would be there standing up for them. Like when New York City Mayor Adams put his hand on, on, on the car and walked with it. And then six days later, he fired hundreds of cops and firemen and, and everybody else. And, and again... You know, it, it correlates to me, you know, like I, I, I can't even listen to the bells. I can't even listen to the 9-11 ceremony anymore. So it's, it's a horrible day for me. Um, I had a very bad day yesterday. Um, but I like I think it again. I say, you know what? We, we honor all these guys. I look at these guys. You know, I see I see photos of people I know, like running up the stairs to certain death. They know they're going to die and, and they go anyway. And they would have been fired, too. So who the fuck do you really honor? Like, I, I, I you know, what, what do you mean you never forget? You we, will forget about someone the minute it's inconvenient. The minute it's politically inconvenient, the minute that it might affect your career, the, your RDOs, your overtime, anything. Your, my chance of becoming a chief, my chance of going here or getting this or whatever it may be, we'll all forget about everything. So I, I personally think, I don't say never forget. I say remember, because I believe that people have forgotten. And I did that. And I've been saying that for years. And there's no clearer way that we could say that we've forgotten that is when I see these leftist politicians, Justice Justin Brennan, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, all of you doing your 9-11 posts and cheering for the entire world to send the people that they don't want to take care of right into the smack into the middle of New York City when we don't know who these people are. Is this something that would happen after 9-11? Is, is this something that, that a sane person would do? It, like we were worried, we're so worried about terrorism. We're so worried about the safety of New York City. We're so worried about all this stuff, yet we're, we're, we support open borders and we're calling the whole world. Just send whoever you want here. We're not gonna check them out at all, but don't worry. We're going to tap your phone. Make sure you're not saying anything on social media. That's that's what I mean, where, you know, everything sounds great until you have corrupt people leading us and they turn that power inward. I think what happened with the vax is obviously illegal. We, we all agree on that. I think what makes people, what makes me really angry about that is it's only enforced for certain people. If you wanted me to believe that the vax worked and it stopped the spread and everyone had to get it and you would lose your job if you didn't, 
Okay, try to sell me on that. But then I look at the border and you have millions of people coming in here. They don't need to be vaxxed. You need to be vaxxed. They can get on a plane and fly anywhere. You can't get on a plane unless you show ID and you show your vaccine card. Your kids need to be vaxxed against everything to go to a public school. But now you got 20,000 illegals in New York City. They don't need to be vaxxed. That's a bigger problem. Forget about the legality of it. It's wrong. It's illegal. I think it, as time goes by, we're going to realize this is another stupid thing we did to American citizens. Going back to COVID, look at the Blasio, a person who wants open borders. Just like you said, let everybody in. We'll give them everything. We'll give you free phone. We'll give you free health care. We'll give you a place to stay. But we got homeless veterans sleeping on the street and under highways. My advice to these illegals, stay illegal. Because once you become an American citizen, the Democrat Party and all those politicians who claim to care about you, they're going to kick you to the curb. They're not going to care about you anymore. And while de Blasio and all these Democrats want open borders, de Blasio had no problem using the sheriff's department to establish a perimeter around his city and checking people for fever when they came into New York. A guy who's against borders, but when it came to his city and it came to, to scrutinizing fellow Americans, he had no problem stopping them. So starting today, we're going to do something new in New York City. We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional. The sheriff's office, in coordination with other law enforcement agencies, will undertake quarantine checkpoints at major bridge and tunnel crossings into New York City. Failure to quarantine is a violation of state law, and it comes with serious penalties. In fact, under certain circumstances, the fines can be as high as $10,000. But the border, let them in. That's the biggest problem I have with, with these politicians. We have to live as Americans. We have to live under certain rules. They don't. It's, it's, it's disheartening. It's, it's corruption and disgusting. I can tell you this. When it comes to the police department, and especially the unions, I think that they are just words. I think they're just words, and ultimately, they're just hashtags. Remember the heroes. For me, I think the police department only considers someone a hero is when they meet their untimely death. That's the only time. And I'm sorry, not including suicide, but it's the only time the police department and the union see someone as a hero is when they meet their untimely death. And we can prove it because they forgot Daniel Pantaleo. They forgot Sergeant Hugh Barry. There's a long list of cops. And you know what? Our newest sergeant that is facing potential termination, fighting for his life and potential freedom right now, Sergeant Durant, he's been forgotten already. Yeah. And the only time that anyone cares about you, and it's momentarily because this, this job and people have short-term memories is when someone meets an untimely death and they sure forget rather quickly. And that's my message to everyone out there. Don't be a hero. Do your job, keep your head on, your, on a swivel, but don't be a hero. Because if you ask me, every cop, every fireman, every nurse, every teacher, every service member, every day, 
that they go to work to perform their job, they are a hero. And, and, and as a woman, they're a heroine. Everyone. It's unfortunate when someone meets an untimely death. But John, John says it all the time. But Paul, you've said it too. I say it sometimes. I agree. The only time they care is when someone dies. And the union absolutely doesn't care. Because if they did, they would set the example and they would put their uniforms on and they would go out in the street and they would test the body cameras that they don't have to wear. They would test and see what does it feel like to have to distribute these business cards. They would test what does it feel like to actually have to do police work in this environment where you're not considered a hero as you were in 9-11, right? Most of these guys that are in the union have been around a long time. Some of them probably did police work during 9-11, but it was a complete different time. There were no body cameras, cops didn't carry tasers. They didn't distribute car, uh, business cards. The world was completely different than it is now. And I'd like to also talk about, right? What's interesting, right? That's to go completely in politics if you're in favor or not. But Rudy Giuliani was talked about with praise. And as you know, he was the hero mayor at the time when he spoke at, at Ground Zero. And now he's just completely villainized. John, what do, you, what do you think about that? How it's just completely changed. If he made those same, same statements now that he did then, what, what would be the appearance? What would people say? Oh, you know it. He's a racist. He hates immigrants. He he hates, you know, I mean, we're, we're supporting terrorists. We're supporting terrorists coming into the country. We're supporting enemies sending spies into this country. We're supporting people passing carriers into this country openly free to come in with drugs weapons whatever you would like but to say you want to close border i mean still till today eric adams has not said to close the border and now we need a strong border policy he blames the trump republicans and he's talking about rudy giuliani and he's talking about donald trump and but really who he's talking about is he's talking about you he's talking about all of you who believe in this country who believe in immigration, but believe we should have common sense immigration. All the men and women that you work with, your family members that came here, that struggled to become an American citizen, that had to take tests, that had to learn all language, had to learn how this country was founded, understand the constitution. You know, immigrants are probably, and I, I would always like think about like when I would meet like somebody who came here and became a cop and they came from Poland or they came from Russia. And I was like, wow, this guy's more American than me. This guy has a greater respect and understanding for this country than I do. And I would be embarrassed and ashamed about that because I was like, wow, this country really is a great country. And this guy came here and he had it made a better life for him and his family. And we just slapped all of them in the face too. We did. We're slapping them all in the face with all of this, and then and to watch them on 9/11 sit up there and grandstand, it 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 honestly disgusts me. It does. Yeah. It really does. And and it disgusts me even more to watch all of these chiefs and all of these politicians and on both sides of the aisle. I I don't even just blame the Democrats. I I personally I have more respect for the Democrats than I do the Republicans. I'm not even a lie. At least they tell me. At least they tell me the truth. At least I know I know where they where they are. At least they tell me what they want what, what they're gonna do, you know. And uh, but like to watch sit everybody sitting up there in dress uniform and pretending 
like they care. You don't care. If you do care, you don't care enough because you're not willing to push back or talk about any of this, right? It's more important to check my social media because I'm I'm debunking a narrative than it is to make sure that terrorists aren't coming into this country. Me, what am I doing? I'm gonna put a, a an Instagram page with the I'm gonna put an Instagram meme with with a song. That's dangerous, right? But not not a not a terrorist coming in here to blow up this country, kill people, infect people with a disease, right? But, you know, and they're, they're, that's that, you know, it's it's just exactly what it is. They're they're making you believe that if you believe in American values, you believe in the United States Constitution, you're the problem. Eric, you were talking about how words matter. You know what word they never seem to mention? And you hear every single person say this. We're a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of immigrants. Will you, are you an uh, American Indian? No, so your family came here. They forget that we're a nation of legal immigrants. We don't have a problem with immigration. I have a problem with illegal immigration. Not just because my family came here and they had to be vetted. It's not just because of that. And it's not just because it's unfair to the people who are, you know, they're being jumped. The, the, these people are jumping the line and cutting all these people off. Every person, every one of these politicians that, that say that borders are racist and we don't need a wall, they all go home and they lock their door. What's the purpose of having a front door. It's to keep people out, is it not? What's the purpose of putting up a fence around your house? It's to establish a perimeter and say, this is mine, and I'm not going to let just anyone in here. They all go home and they do that, but when it comes to our country, they want no wall. Nancy Pelosi said, we don't even need any barrier. We could just have grass and mow it. Representatives in the House and senators in that body uh, from the border areas have some serious objection to a wall uh, because they know uh, how detrimental it can be to the community, trade, to all the, the other um, aspects of, uh, of a border. But again, let's sit down and talk this through and see what makes sense. Uh, not some uh, commitment to a promise that we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. That's never going to happen. But let's talk about where the, a more serious structure might be necessary, where fencing will do, or mowing the grass so that people can't be smuggled through the grass. They're going after votes from not just illegal immigrants, but drug addicts. That's why they want to legalize drugs. And felons. If you're a felon, you're definitely going to vote Democrat. They want you to have the right to vote and not have employers even ask about your prior criminal history. They want to make it illegal to ask. I'm taking action to ban the box for, for, uh, for the most competitive jobs at federal agencies. Now, the federal government is a big employer, as you know. And like a lot of big employers, on many job applications, there's a box that asks if you have a criminal record. If you answer yes, then a lot of times you're not getting a call back. And we're going to do our part in changing this. The federal government, I believe, should not use criminal history to screen out applicants before we even look at their qualifications. We, we can't dismiss people out of hand simply because of a mistake that they made in the past. The Democrats don't want you to even be allowed to ask 
if the person has a criminal history. Now, you've done your time. I get it. I believe that people can change. I want to give them an opportunity. If you, if you did your time, you, there has to be a reintrodu reintroduction into society. I believe that. But can you imagine the consequences that this could have in the real world? Certain states allow it, right? You drop your child off at daycare. You don't want to know if the person taking care of your toddler has done time for molestation, for sexual assault. You put your kid on a school bus. You don't want to know if that bus driver is a heroin addict or got locked up, locked up four times for DUI. You go to your CPA and you submit your tax return and you give it to the secretary. You don't want to know if that person did time for identity theft, knowing that he or she has all of your information. They institute policies like, John, you say it all the time, pro-criminal, anti-victim. And in the process, they're forgetting about the real victims. And I said this, I think the first time I was on, we're always hearing about that this is a nation with the highest incarceration rate. We have too many criminals in jail. We have more victims than criminals because by the time you get caught, if you're in your 30s and you've been you know, uh, uh, doing this since you're, you're, you're a teenager, how many people have you, how many lives have you ruined? How many people have you robbed, assaulted, and maybe killed? So as many people as there are in prison or have been prosecuted, and incarcerated, we have maybe 10 times the amount of people that are actual victims. But again, it's, it's just like they do with the border, go after the innocent law-abiding Americans, just like they do with the vax, illegal, uh, uh, ignore all the illegals coming in that aren't vetted, that don't even have the MMR vaccine, where my kid couldn't get into public school without it. Look the other way. When it comes to Americans, we are put under the microscope and that's not done with anyone else. And they're proud of it. They're so proud to say that walls are racist, even though they all go home and they lock their windows and shut their doors. Wall is an immorality. It's not who we are as a nation. We're not doing a wall. Does anybody have any doubt about we're not doing a wall? So that's it. Are you worried about backlash? Are you worried about backlash? No, it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the wall is an immorality. Biden just charged American taxpayers with a half a million dollars for his wall. Construction work continues on a barrier surrounding his Delaware beach home. Oh, that's nice. Why? For increased security, of course. And it's going to cost taxpayers $500,000. Brian? Yeah, so I guess it walls do work. Uh, so it's built around the side of his house. It's going to cost $500,000. I guess taxpayers are picking it up. It's a big white wall. Daily Mail picked it up, took a picture, and I think it's ironic. All of these people have walls, and you all vet who come into your house, but we can't vet who comes into our country. It's sick. Well, it's absolutely crazy. And here we are. Which point is 22 years later. It's not a long time. But it's long enough that we have we have young college young college kids that that are in this country right now that were not even born yet for 9-11. So for them, they don't understand even then versus now. They're only living in the now. For them, the actual event that we lived, it's in the history books. So they can't even understand. And so I, I, I think for them especially, they take the freedom for granted as far as 
in, in foreign affairs. But even more importantly right now, they take their freedom for granted when it comes from within. And, 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 we, and we've seen it, right? We've seen this anti-police sentiment, the anti-police rhetoric, and most of it's going on with the young people right now who weren't actually exposed to 9-11. They don't have that story that we have of where and when and what you were doing in, uh, during 9-11. For them, it's, it's just in the history books. And we have this whole new ideology towards police. I mean, John, could you imagine back during 9-11 if we had the same sentiment towards police then? I mean, how would the world be right now? How would that actually be be handled? How would everybody come together? What What do you think New York City would look like if we had this anti-police sentiment during the week of 9-11? I mean, I've been saying, I God forbid, you know, when something bad like that happens again, there's going to be a totally different response to it, you know? And I, I hate to say that, but I really, I, you know, I, I believe a lot of the, I believe that the, not only the New York City Police Department, but the Fire Department, EMS, I believe that they have been heavily emasculated. I believe they're shells <laughs> of their former selves. And I, I hate to say it, I do, and I'm not talking about all you guys, and I'm not saying pointing out individuals, but I, I do believe leadership's a big thing, and it's not there right now. You know, I think Alexander the Great, I think he said, uh, I'd rather, I'd rather be led. I'd rather have a, a lion lead a bunch of sheep than have a sheep lead a ton of lions. So you guys might be lions, but you're led by sheep. And I believe the response, you know, and, and again, New York City was caught completely off guard. And, and you know, we're scrambling, right? Pants were down. Everybody's scrambling. Every agency, everything from the mayor all the way down but they had the system and leadership in place to get it together and to get it together very quickly. Um, I don't believe that's here at, with the elected. I don't believe it's here with the appointed commissioners in all in every single agency and every single, in every single asset of New York city. I, I believe that the, the men and women in New York city will be left holding the bag. Um, if that happens again, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but it's just how I really feel. I, and I, you know, and it's, and everything that I see leads me to believe that. And like, you know, I, I remember that iconic paper where it was like the real twin towers and it was a, a photo of a cop and a, and a fireman standing there um, after nine 11, like standing through the rubble. And, you know, I believe that that can still be true, but it can't, if there's no leadership, it can't it just can't. It all starts with leadership and, you know, 30,000 uh, cops. If you wanted to change the whole department, you don't have to change 30,000 police, although they are doing that now. All you have to do is start at the top. You install one corrupt mayor or one corrupt or incompetent uh, commissioner and everything else gets into line, falls in line. And, while there were people that supported us and most of the country and most of the world did actually, we saw cops coming in to the trade center to ground zero from Australia. We had cops come in from Japan. We had, I remember uh, my captain telling me, he says, we don't even know where to put these people. We have 50 cops from Nassau County coming over to this corner 
And they're relieving another 50 cops that came over from Suffolk County. Everyone stood together. And I don't know if we could ever do that again. There's such, there's such a, um, such a large group of people that are, that are not just anti-police, but that are anti-America. We didn't really have that back then. And although cops were still, uh, they weren't always portrayed well in the media before 9-11, all of that went away because they knew that they needed all first responders to help. And it was such an outpouring of people who were willing to come in and to help that we had doctors, nurses, cops, we had volunteers, we had people down at the trade center, we had chiropractors that were cracking everyone's back because they were working 18 hour days. We had companies that were donating, you know, water and, and baby wipes and, and band-aids and all these, everything you could possibly use. And it didn't take long for all of that to go away. But today we have two issues. It's not just anti-police, it's anti-America. Tonight, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar under fire again after telling the Council on American-Islamic Relations, known as CARE, that the worst terror attack on American soil was, quote, some people did something. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Now, growing backlash. First member of Congress to ever describe terrorists who killed thousands of Americans on 9-11 as some people who did something unbelievable. I don't know how it would, we would recover from another attack like that, because as much as you're going to have people standing around and cheering our, our response, you're going to have anti-police anti cheering the opposite. <clears throat> Excuse me. I could even I would even submit to you that when bin Laden was killed, I believe it was 2000, it was right after Obama got elected. There were people all over the street, all young college kids waving the American flag, screaming. Everybody was so happy. I don't think that would happen today. I think those same people today, after going to the universities and colleges, they're taught to hate this country. You can't send your kid away to college without them coming back or at least, you know, them trying to convince your child how bad this country is. When you get four years of that, you end up, you end up hating, hating this country. And, and you probably already hated police because they go hand in hand. But I don't know how we would recover emotionally from another attack. I don't know if we would band together because there's so many people that, that hate us before the, the America was hated from the outside. Now they're here. They're in universities teaching our kids. They're in medicine. They're in law enforcement. Look at the DAs. Look at these woke DAs who refuse to prosecute thugs. I'm not talking about shoplifting. I'm talking about people that are using guns. Eric, you talked about in the vehicle pursuit video, the guy that discharged a firearm six separate times. And when he ended up getting caught, nothing, nothing. So I really believe, and it took me a while to get here. I really believe it's, it's not for compassion. They just hate everything we stand for. So they want to let the criminals run wild. <clears throat> they don't care if businesses close down because they lost all their money to shoplifting, but they're the first person to complain if Walmart or, or a, a 
a grocery store, a chain, CVS, I know is closing in my neighborhood now because they come in every night and they clear the shelves. Those people are the first to complain, you're closing your doors because you're racist. Where are we supposed to shop? No, they didn't do it. It's the people in charge. And you wouldn't do that <clears throat> unless you hated the country or the city that you represent. That wasn't like that back then. I'd actually like to talk about two separate thoughts that had aroused from what you guys have said. So first and foremost, you both know I'm a huge advocate for leadership. I blame everything, everything negative on an organization, on leadership, and almost everything that happens in a positive and good nature, I attribute to leadership. You look at any organization, the rise and fall of organizations, and you could just look to the leadership. And I say this, just think about the, just think about restaurants that you go to. Think about your favorite restaurant. And I can say for me, the most important thing for me when I go to a restaurant, it's important that the food is good and the ambiance, but the most important thing for me is service, right? I enjoy kind people that make you feel welcomed, inviting. It's a place you want to go to, go there again, right? And I think this correlates to the police department. But think about this, the, the restaurants you've been to that you like and some of the wait staff and, and, and the management. When you speak to them and you speak to someone that's been a, a waiter you know, in, in a nice place and they've been there for 20-something years, 20 years, and all the staff has been there forever, that's a great sign. Right? And you can look at the police department now, it's completely falling apart, mess, excess, and it's a recruitment problem because of the lack of leadership. And then you go to that restaurant and all the people have been there for years and they're staying and they're not leaving there. If you have it, speak to the owner or the head manager. I guarantee you, you're going to be met with someone that has great leadership qualities and who's going to be a good person. That's why these people stay there. They're in a good environment. And you, you, and you would probably meet someone that's also congenial themselves because the, the staff is going to be a reflection of the leadership. Trust me, if you go to a restaurant that you don't, you're not happy with the service, speak to the owner and speak to the manager. I'm confident. There could be one or two. If there's a problem with one or two, that could be isolated. But if the entire staff is not welcoming and it's not a good staff, look at the leadership. Look to the owner, look to the manager, you're probably going to see the same thing. And that's what's happened with the police department. And that's the comparison from then and now. Then I do believe we had better leaders. We had leaders that actually had some courage when it came to politics, such as the mayor, and actually the higher echelon of the police. And second, I want to talk about, I think that we should give praise to our police officers and our firemen, not just as first responders. I think that we should actually start considering police officers and firemen as actual service members. They're actual service members that, that serve in this country. And we saw it in 9-11, how patriotic cops and firemen were at ground zero. And they acted in the same ma manner that military would. And I, I can say that because I know I was a Marine. So I think that on Veterans Day, it should not be just honoring military. It should be honoring police officers and firemen as well. As someone who served in the military and the police department, I can attest to both. No, I think that's fair. And that's not to say, like, you know, and, and 
I don't think any of us are saying like there will be leadership amongst the rank and file, right? You'll see acts of heroism amongst the rank and file. You'll see Joe Schmo put the weight of the world on his back. But we're saying overall as an organization, you may be able to affect your command. You may be able to affect the, the post that you're on. Um, we're saying overall. So, you know, I, I got I to gotta start to wrap this up. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll kick it around to you guys. And I, I think for me, the only thing I got to say is that I just, you know, if anything I said is offensive to any of you, I really don't care. It's It really is how I feel about it. Um, you know, I'm just telling you my honest, honest opinion. I'm not holding back. I'm not giving you my inhibitions. I'm telling you exactly how I feel. I could be wrong. I could be right. Um, but this is how I feel. That's how I feel about it. I feel that New York City currently is a shell of what it was pre 9-11. And it's nowhere near it was in the days after 9-11. And, um, you know, and, and I think, honestly, you forgot. That's what I think. John, they tried to force you to take an illegal vaccine. I would say, uh, my friend just mentioned this to me. He said, I heard the part when you said, wow, how do you get your pants on? Because your balls must be this big because you had the courage to quit. And I still feel that way. I, I'm telling you now, I wouldn't have. I, I, I have tremendous respect for you and for your courage. I would not have been able to be that strong. Eric, I would say your biggest issue is an overzealous CCRB. What they did to you is terrible. I never got charges. I think I got one civilian complaint. Um, I, I could not even imagine operating under that stress. What you would done, what was done to you was unfair. It's gotta be illegal. Um, and, and that's how I would sum up if I had to pinpoint, you know, you, you, you're known as the most complained cop for a reason. I like to say you're the most active cop, not the most complained cop, maybe the best cop, maybe the most proactive. So for me, my biggest issue is what Eric just commented on leadership and the lack of leadership. And it doesn't just mean enforcing police, enforcing the laws and, and, but it means enforcing them correctly. And I'm not for mutiny and I'm not for people to defy orders, but I will say at some point there has to be a boss or a cop that says, I'm not doing it. Suspend me. I am not going to harass the people on their way to church with their children for not having a mask over their nose. And at the same time, look the other way while BLM and Antifa burn down our city. They quickly spot Florman Ricker without a mask while walking his dog. Anywhere in public, you got to wear on the on your face. Moments later, Maurizio Casanova slips on his face mask after seeing the officers, but it is too late. He too is ticketed. How come you weren't wearing your mask? I had to step out of my home. Nearby on North Bayshore Drive, David Hines is the third person in just a few minutes to receive a $100 citation. At some point, some of these cops, and I blame the bosses more than the cops, have to say, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. When the, when the chief tells you, listen, you got to take down that American flag that's at the construction site because it's offending people, I come back and say, I didn't see it. What flag? Or the cops upstate were told 
when the firemen were driving around and they had the flag on the rig, I see the cops pull them over and tell FD, you got to take that flag off. You know what I say? Chief, I didn't see the fire truck. He was gone. You don't have to be confrontational about it, but you, you could, I mean, come on guys, common sense. When you're going into a restaurant, yeah, we're not bouncers. And we hope that if they have a policy that says, you know, you have to leave for whatever reason, if you're ca causing a problem or whatever, but to tell these people they're not allowed to enter a certain place because they have to show their vax card when everyone else doesn't, or you don't need to wear a mask, but you know, the people in New York or the, or the, the American citizen does at some point, you got to have common sense. I feel like we need a comeback. Common sense needs to make a comeback and we can't have all of these cops running out, running around with no guidance. We need, we need bosses with balls and bosses with spines for the females out there. And I feel like we're failing, not just the people of New York city, but we're failing our, our cops. And that, that's, it's very disheartening to see that. We're always going to be betrayed unfairly in the media, but we got to take care of ourselves. And it all starts with leadership. So that's my biggest beef with anything, all the way up to Biden. But it starts at the lower level between a cop and his sergeant. And I feel like we need to, uh, we need to lead. We need better leaders. I want to leave you with this before we close this out. For the people out there, the public, if you were alive and you remember what and when and where you were doing before 9-11 and on 9-11, ask yourself, how did you feel as an American during that time? How did you feel about this country? How did you feel about yourself? How did you feel about life? Was it better or worse than it is today? Ask yourself those questions. I would say the majority of people, including myself, Felt it was a better time. It was a different world. It was a world we remember we were proud of. I see the memes on social media. We were alive during this time. You were doing different types of things. And for the kids, if you were born post 9-11, ask yourself, read some books, ask people that lived during 9-11, ask cops and firemen that worked before 9-11 and 9-11, and ask them what life was like in comparison to now. Don't just knock it. You should actually respect history and respect everything. I always say opposition meets opportunity. So, uh, of course, John and, and Paul, I think this was a great roundtable talk about then and now and, and how we feel about leadership and, of course, the police department. Uh, so before we close this out, John, let's get a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Yeah, sure, guys. Like, uh, like I always say, I think financial health is is the most important thing that you could have. You need it. I mean, I don't understand. You guys are in a very dangerous profession. The people that are listening to this that are cops, you should be going out there with peace of mind, knowing God forbid anything happens to you. That little two hundred and fifty or three hundred and fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy that the union's going to give you. It's really nothing. And by the way, if you get suspended, you don't have that, or something happens, you're not going to have that in those lapses. So please reach out to John and Henry. They're great guys. Everyone that's reached out to them so far is very fond of them. They care about us. It's personalized attention, not just for millionaires, personalized attention for cops. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. 
Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Outstanding. Uh, listen, before we close this out, I want to thank everybody, of course, for watching this podcast. I appreciate all the support. And I actually appreciate the hate. I can't stop laughing. You know, we're constantly trolled in some of the comments. You know, I, I almost fell out of my chair the other day when somebody said, go get a job. So I, I really appreciate it. It makes me laugh and drive us and give us more motivation and dedication. So, uh, John and Paul, any last words before we close this up? I just like to open it up to the viewer and maybe they can share in the comments uh, two things, their story about 9-11 if they were there and um, the difference between that period of period of time and the way things are today with everything, with your fellow Americans, with politicians, with obviously how the police are treated. And um, for those that are, are struggling with this, there is help. Please get it. I know that some of the videos I make, people will contact me even from out of state and they, they say, thank you. Uh, I needed to hear this or I needed to hear that. So a lot of people have forgotten. We haven't. And the people that were there, I don't think we'll ever forget it. So um, remember, asking for help doesn't make you weak. It actually makes you strong because you have the courage to reach out and, and to seek help. And um you know, I feel your pain. It's been 22 years, but for me, it feels like yesterday. So God bless everyone. Thank you guys for having me again. It's an honor. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'll just say the same thing. You know, I put a, I tried to stay off social media yesterday. I put one post, a picture of the tower, as I said, remember. Second post I put was a clip of Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick on, uh, on 9-11 walking that day walking down telling everybody to get out of lower Manhattan. They were on the news. They were giving warnings. Um, and I just said, you know how it's crazy how we demonize these people. And a lot of people jumped on me. Oh, not today. You don't, don't bring your politics and this, blah, 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 this, that, the other thing. And, um, and like I said, I said, listen, I grieve the way I grieve. You grieve the way you want to grieve. I'm, I'm not going to judge you for it. If your grief is to come at me or attack me or to tell me to shut up, that's fine. I don't care, but I'm not going to. I'm going to speak my truth. That's how I honor 
the people that came before us. That's how I honored my dead family, my dead relatives. That's how I honor them is, is by, I, I give my honest opinion, right or wrong. So, and you know, and that's why I respect both of you so much too, is because you don't hold back and that's, and I, and I believe that's the greatest form of love. So, you know, thank all you guys for tuning in. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to leave everybody with this and I mean it. When you're back on social media and you put a hashtag, remember the heroes, or you put a hashtag, never forget. Ask yourself, do you actually mean those words? Do those words actually mean something to you? Because I hope it's not just a hashtag and I hope it's not just a slogan. With that being said, New York Spines retired on the podcast. Thank you for viewing us. 265 Police Live. Take care, everybody. What's this other jet doing? What's this what other jet doing? Holy fuck! Oh my god! Oh my god! Jesus fucking Christ! Chris, are you fucking. Don't touch it.